People spend so much time trying to get a meeting. They get somebody who can fog a mirror and is excited to talk to them and they puke product all over them. They, they show, tell, we can, we do, we have, we're better because um, let me show you this feature. Let me show you this function. Let me show you this outcome. And they don't stop. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have Eric Warner of Sandler Training, Sandler Training here in Boston. He's a professional sales trainer with a specific focus on sales management and leadership development. If you recall and go back to episode 21, we talked tactically with Eric on a Dr. Joe show episode, specifically about DISC and communicating with different personalities. Eric, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate you having me on again. Yeah, yeah. So it's so good to see you. So let me ask you this. What are some of the struggles that sales teams are having right now? Mm, that's an awesome question. Well, I mean, I guess it's there's a couple of things. Um, you know, with the marketplace shift, with people not being in the office, and you know, where they're working from is anybody's best guess. Uh, we've seen a lot of, of trends recently. One is, I mean, take email traffic. I don't know if you know this or not, but um, HubSpot, one of our big partners, has been tracking email traffic for quite some time. And what they've seen in, since the pandemic started is that email sales specifically, sales email traffic is up 150% since the start of the pandemic. So if you think about that's impact on a salesperson, their, their, their competition, the noise they're fighting against has just gone way, way up. And on the opposite side of that, responses to sales emails are down 33%. So you got more competition, more noise, and then people being less responsive, tuning things out, not paying attention, right? That, that's one of the big things that, that we're starting to see out there. So there's a bit of frustration, right? I think the biggest thing that I hear from most of my clients now is the struggle to get initial conversations with people they're not talking to, right? How, how do we get in front of them? How do we get their attention? How do we get them to respond and engage? And you know, one of the things that, that we've seen quite a bit is stop asking for a meeting, start asking for interest, right? One of the pieces that we've seen through a partnership with both HubSpot and Gong is that when you ask for interest, are you interested in a brief conversation? Are you open to a discussion about this? How does a dialogue sound? The response rate is double than if you ask for, you know, can we put a meeting on the calendar? Here's a link to my calendar to schedule something. It's almost a little bit like, hey, you know, why don't we have a cup of coffee before we decide if we want to go to dinner? Right. It's a it's a little bit of that, you know, let's let's have a brief email exchange and then let's go for a meeting. At the end of the day, you know, you want to get somebody to engage with you, not necessarily, you know, put a put a meeting on the calendar right out of the gate. So that's just that's just one example in terms of some of the things that we're hearing from some of our clients. So what you're doing though, you're not teaching that HubSpot funnel, drip campaign, email. You're talking about the face-to-face -face sale, the communication, the sharing of vocals, we like to say, right? The, the mm -hmm. communication of it. Yeah, 100%, right? So prospecting is, is the initial part of the sales process, right? There's a lot of people that are doing 
you know, lead drips, right? Let's get leads. Let's get marketing qualified leads, which eventually get kicked to a salesperson. Now that salesperson has got to manage that lead into a conversation. And, you know, typically, I mean, I'll ask you any idea how many times a warm lead, somebody who's raised their hand and said, Hey, I'm interested in what you do. Any idea how many times you have to contact that person in order to get them to respond? Yeah. So it's always way more than you think, right? So two, three is not going to do it, mm-hmm. but seven to 13 is what I've been hearing some of, uh, some of the professionals saying. Yeah. So an MQL marketing qualified lead, typically between five to seven touches before you get a response, not a meeting response to the, that outreach. And then if it's a cold outreach, they don't know who you are. They've never spoken to you before. It's nine to 11. So wow. getting just getting people to respond takes a lot of activity. So you talk about lead into conversation, right? There's a whole sales process that goes on there. How do you use tools, different tools to your advantage to get those meetings, right? So we, we do a lot of prospecting programs, helping people pr- create cadence, create a cadence with combination of touches, maximize what those touches sound like so it prompts responses. So we do a lot of work with people to get those first meetings. And in my opinion, the first meeting is where the sales process starts, right? That's where your buyer's journey begins, right? What do you need to take them through to fully understand what you do, where you add value, how you help, and what they can, what they can expect to get out of your company. But you can't effectively tell that story unless that, that buyer's qualified. Do you understand what their challenges are? How important are they to get them fixed? What impact are they having on the business? What goals are they trying to achieve that they can't get to without you? Um, until you can really understand that, you really can't tell your story. So you know, we help people really, frankly, let's start with the basics, ask better, more comprehensive and targeted questions during sales meetings. People spend so much time trying to get a meeting. They get somebody who can fog a mirror and is excited to talk to them and they puke product all over them. They, they show, tell, we can, we do, we have, we're better because um, let me show you this feature. Let me show you this function. Let me show you this outcome. And they don't stop. Look at me, look at me. Right. As opposed to how do I help you? Right. Have you ever seen, um, I think, what's his name? Brian, is it Brian Tracy or Brian Carey, the comedian? He does a skit called The Me Monster. Look it up on on YouTube. It's fantastic. It's the the Me Monster is the, you know, the guy who's whatever story you tell them, they've got a story that's better than you. And it's, you know, sometimes that's what salespeople sound like, right? They they finally get an audience and they don't stop, right? All right. Let's see if there's a real fit here. Let's ask some deeper, more questions. So we help them qualify and then eventually we help them close. Um, and then we'll, you know, help them build sales process if they need to and, and help their sales leaders hold them accountable to, um, you know, executing that process and, and, and really having a solid methodology to hold them accountable to executing. So how do you do that? I mean, you know, some people will say, oh, I've been in sales for 15 years. I don't need the basics and the foundation of it. But I mean, what do you say to them in that? Well, it's a, it's a great question. And, and look, there's a lot of very ex- experienced salespeople out there that are very successful. And probably some of them don't need what we do. There's also a lot of sales leaders, company leaders who are very successful at sales. But what many of them don't know how to do is teach their teams how to sell. They know how to get stuff done. They know how to sell. They know how they sell. 
But the reality is not everybody sells the same way. Not everybody buys the same way. Not every interaction is going to be exactly the same. So what we try to do is, you know, I talked about that buyer's journey a second ago, right? Mm-hmm. What are those series of events you need to take your, your prospects through to get their entire organization on board with buying your, your solution? A lot of that is really creating a process. You can't move through somebody through a process if you don't have one defined. So, and if you're going to teach somebody how to effectively sell your product, you've got to define those steps and those stages, right? So building that journey is step one. A lot of people don't have the journey. They, they haven't thought about it, which means when you go into a meeting, you, it's hard for you to know exactly what next step you're going to invite them to participate in. And as a result, the customer says, well, here's what I think we should do next. This is what I want to do. How about you send me a quote, send me a proposal, do this, do that. And, and the prospect is in complete control, right? So, so let's take control of that. Let's have a system. Let's have a process to follow. But then, you know, process is half the battle. The other part is methodology, right? Methodology means, well, how are you running those meetings? How are you setting the stage for the conversation? What questions are you asking? What goals are you trying to establish in that particular event in which goals should wait for the next event, right? So it's a, it's a you know, kind of a progression of events. So process, methodology, and then you know, we, we teach them how to have better conversations is ultimately what it boils down to. Better conversations, more impactful with a plan, with a strategy, taking control of the process. What are some of those better questions, better conversations? How do, how do, you, how do you teach that? Well, it's a good question. So, I mean, the, the how do we teach it now is very different than the how we used to teach it. <laughs> so- um, Explain what you mean. Well- did, I mean, How did you used to teach it? Well, we used to do a lot of our, our programming in person. We used mm. to do boot camps. We would bring gotcha. everybody into a big conference room and we'd have two days of very intensive, you know, strategic and tactical skill-based training. You do role-playing, you do concept review, right? Now we're doing everything in, in uh, via Zoom. Um, we have, I, I would say last year, actually, I, w- I won't say, well, I would say we've done 96% of our training via Zoom. Wow in the last 18 months. Wow. Um, and, you know, candidly, the feedback we get from a lot of our clients is they actually appreciate this method better. Um, we don't do two-day boot camps anymore. We don't typically do sessions longer than 90 minutes. So they're, they tend to be very focused, very concentrated. Um, we use a lot of different interactive slide platforms and some different tools to, to keep the audience engaged. Um, and we still do breakout rooms and small group conversations and role plays. We just are using technology to do that more than we used to. So that, that, that's the, how we deliver it, I guess, side of that question. That's interesting. You know, you may lose that personal touch, but you gain the ability to work with so many other people, right? When you have that people are now, well, I can't really drive to Eric's office. It's not going to work for me, but I can set up time block and focus for 90 minutes and I'm going to get the gold that he's delivering. Well, and, and so what's been interesting is if we do a two day boot camp, think about the logistics of that, right? right? You got to block off two full days. You've got to, you know, get to wherever we are, you know, be there all day, do your stuff, noise in the background from whatever's going on in the office. 
And we dump an, an enormous amount of information on you in two days, right? So you tend to walk out of there. You might have picked up one or two specific things, not had a huge amount of time to digest it, practice it, learn it. And then boom, you're right back to work, you know, the following day and, you know, you're, you're digging out. So people are like, okay, yeah, that, that was really good, fun. We had a great time. At least that's what they told us. But then, you know, the, you, when you try to recall some of the things we learned, the retention rate, the use rate, much lower, right? The recall, it's so interesting that you say that. So it's very similar to going to a conference, right? Oh, that was amazing. Well, the speakers were great. I've got all these handouts. I put them up on the shelf. The dust starts to collect. You look at it. Oh, that was great. Oh, I got to go back and review that stuff again. Oh, I'm back to status quo. Yep. We, used to, we call that entertainment. Right. When you go, you get entertained and you, you're getting a little training sp sprinkled on you. But the reality is, you know, it takes a long time to change how you do things. Right. So, but I mean, we'll we'll teach a lot of tactical things, how you start a conversation, how you initiate questions, um, how you move towards next steps. How do you confirm next steps? How do you manage objections? You know, a lot of stuff that that we'll teach in the program. But if you've got a way that you've been doing it, that might be working for you, but you, you want to make it maybe a little bit better in order for you to do that. It takes a lot of time, practice, reinforcement, you know, setting a goal around it, holding yourself accountable to it before that fundamental change will happen. Right. So, side note, quick factoid. Do you know how long it takes to change a habit? Huh. To change a habit or create a habit? To eliminate well, what's something? the difference? What's the mm -hmm. difference? Right. So, well, sometimes you're eliminating something. Sometimes you're adding something new to, to but it. But either way, it's a new behavior. Right. You've got to do habitually, which means you're doing it without thinking about it. So I've heard 14 days. Stephen Covey said 21 days. I think I've heard you say 60. Okay. 60 yeah, so, days. So there's, there's a lot of noise out there about, you know, how many days, right? And, and the reality is there's no, there's no precise answer. Mm. For, when it but, clicks. Right, right. Where it, where it clicks. But where it clicks is when you unconsciously have to stop thinking about it and you do it automatically, right? right? But, but studies that have been done recently have found that, you know, dependent on, you know, the length of time that the habit has been in there, whether it's a chosen new behavior versus a change behavior, it can take anywhere between two and 276 days Whoa. To, to actually do something without thinking about it. In the mean of that is 66 days. 66. So, so you, you think about it, you know, on the short end, you know, it, it could take you, you know, a week, two weeks of, of consistent behavior on the long end, it could take you 276 days, but you know, somewhere in the middle, it's probably going to take you 30 to 60 days to get really comfortable with something. So, you know, if you try to learn things in mass and then change your habits, doesn't work very well. So, so what we've been hearing from a lot of our clients now is that they love the 90 minute, you know, zoom session because it, it kind of matriculates into their day. We give them preview work ahead of time. We don't give pre-work anymore because nobody does pre-work, but we'll give them some preview work to go, Hey, this is what we're going to talk about. Here's a quick snippet, take, take two or three minutes, listen to this. We'll do the class. And then in the foundational program, we certify them afterwards. We give them a, you know, a module to listen to online and a, in a, an exam to, to test or to take. And if they pass it, you know, they're, they're one step closer to having a complete certification in our program. So, 
you know, our, the feedback we've been getting on that is much more, much easier to manage, much higher retention rates. When we do quizzes, when we see people in our reinforcement training, the retention rate on our concepts are way higher than they used to be. Well, if you think about it, it's that recall, right? You're able to take a, a segment of information that's been delivered and immediately start to use it. So then you're practicing between sessions and you're building foundations. I mean, that's where it all begins, right? Foundations. So if someone's listening to this and they say, you know, I've been kind of winging it, I'm good, not great, and I want to get involved and, and learn how to do it right. This, the first phase in your training is called foundations, right? Yeah, the foundations and it's, we call it either foundations or immersion, right? Okay. So either way, it's a foundational knowledge of the Sandler selling methodology. So Sandler training has been around for 50 odd years, which some people they'll say, well, it's been around for 50 years. It must be out of date. Well, okay, you could say that, but most of it's based in psychology, right? And psychology really hasn't gone out of date in a number of years, right? There's there's different mediums that people now use to communicate that they didn't have back in the, you know, the 70s when when a lot of this stuff was 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 originally rolled out. How we run meetings, the types of people we're talking to, the follow-up mechanisms that we have, like they they have all changed. So we've had to evolve the methodology to fit those modes, but the methodology itself is still extremely valuable because it's really about human interaction in managing those interactions to the most impactful way, right? So we teach people foundations and most people who come to foundations are, are if they're doing it for themselves, you know, they, they, they want to get more efficient and they want to get more effective, frankly, so they don't have to work as hard, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, sales is a tough job. I don't care what you're selling. It's a difficult job. It's an exhilarating job. I love it. I've been selling since I don't know. I was five professionally since you know thirty years or so now. But you know the the sales part of it is exciting. You get to learn about new companies, new businesses. You know what people are doing, what's working, what's not. If if you treat it as a curiosity and discovery factor, it's a it's a very enjoyable mode. And, but you also have to have a little bit of the mindset of, of not everybody's a prospect. Not everybody needs what you have, even if they're your ideal client profile and they're telling you all the things that you know you think will make them a great prospect, it still doesn't mean they are, right? It's And it's your job to help to figure out, well, are they? Are they now? Are they going to be someday, but not today? Should I invest more time in them? Should I not? Right? It's it's your job as a professional to figure out where you're going to spend your time and how you're going to maximize it. And to be patient, right? So that you don't jump at that first prospect and say, this is the one, this is the stuff you're teaching, that qualifying. Are we a right fit? Because if we're not, that's okay. Right. But let's know now rather than six months from now, right? Right. And, and I mean, look, I mean, I'll ask you the question. Do you think salespeople are born or made? Oh, wow. So that's like the whole leadership, uh, are leaders made or born? Um, mm -hmm. Salespeople, that's a great question. I, I believe that uh, there are people who don't believe that they could be salespeople. And I think that with the proper training anyone could so i'm gonna say that they're they're made mm -hmm. well yeah, yeah so look I, I i mean i don't there's no right answer to that question it's perspective more than anything else right but i think 
you know, my opinion on that is much like anything else, right? Are athletes born or made, yeah. right? Athletes have inherent talents that are at a much higher level than many people, right? Professional athletes, but there's very few professional athletes that can get by on talent alone, right? right? There's, you know, people that have ex- excelled to the highest level of sport, legal profession, uh, medical profession, whatever, whatever the profession is, is that they've taken that talent, they've refined it, they've adjusted it, they've evolved it. So, you know, they can, they can hold themselves accountable to doing things differently. Right. And, and I don't think sales is any different, right. Just because you've got an outgoing personality and you can have, you can connect with people and have great conversation. It doesn't mean you're going to be a great salesperson. Right. Right. So, and you know, you may be successful, but then suddenly the market shifts, the product changes, the, you know, the pandemic happens and you got to think about, you know, new ways, you know, to be impactful. Um, you know, I, people ask me what my ideal client is all the time. Mm. You know, the, the ideal client for me is less about um, demographics, right? How big is their organization? What do they sell? It's more about a psychographic, right? Are, are, are they committed to personal and professional development? And if they manage a team, do they hold their teams accountable to personal and professional development, right? Because at the end of the day, this is about personal and professional development. So how much of it is behavioral then? Oh, <laughs> how much of anything is behavioral, yeah. right? I mean, we, we often talk about, there's a, there's a Sandler concept called the success triangle. Mm-hmm. And the success triangle is really getting three points of alignment together, right? And you, you just mentioned one of them, behavior, right? It, I don't care what you do in sales. If you don't have consistent behavior around prospecting, around opportunity identification, opportunity development, about closing consistently, you know, you, you're, you're not going to succeed, right? You, you have to have a minimum standard level of behavior, right? But you, you, then you, you also have to have technique, right? So behavior is one point on the triangle, technique is another, right? But technique, you know, there's, there's, if somebody's been taught tactic or technique, they're not using it for one of two reasons. They either haven't practiced it enough, so they're not comfortable and confident enough to use it, or they've got some underlying mindset, we call it head trash, or attitude that holds them back from, from using it. Right. So when we think about training people, we do teach a lot of tactic and technique. But if we don't put that tactic and technique in the right spot of the sales process, then it's not as impactful. Right. So the where they use it, when they use it, behavior, defining when to use it, what the goal is around using it and holding themselves accountable to use it, which is all behavior. It won't go to work. But then sometimes we look and say, you know, this person gave you a really difficult objection and you, you, um, you, didn't, you didn't really dig back into it. You just immediately tried to change their mind on it. Mm. Not necessarily what we teach you. How come it, when that behavior was presented, you chose not to use the tactic? And sometimes that's mindset. I didn't think I had the right to, to, you know, to ask them those questions. You know, I had to convince them versus... Mm. I have to understand fully where they're coming from to see if they can be convinced. Not everybody can be, right? So it's getting that behavior aligned with the tactic and aligned with the mindset to use it. 
is kind of the axiom that we look at all this stuff because you're not going to be successful in changing the methodology you use to sell unless you get all three of those things aligned together. That's fascinating. Let me ask you this. How did you get involved in this space? Which one? Sales or this business? Sales training, this business, what you're doing right now, helping others. Well, so ultimately I'm, you know, I'm a I'm a business owner and I'm a consultant. And you know, most of the consultants that you know, how did they get started in their consultancy? Being really good at something. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that does help, right? That that does help. But but typically, most people, it, it's sometimes difficult to go out on your own and become a right. consultant, right? So there's got to be a catalyst event. So I, I spent 25 years in corporate America. I worked for AT&T and sold, I call it the my years of selling air for the phone company. I used to sell dial tone back when you used to pay per minute to make a phone call. Um, wow, you're old. I am old. I, <laughs> I, probably, I probably shouldn't have brought that up. Right? I'm kidding, but that's the same thing with with Sandler. You started to say, you know, the 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 concept has been around for 50 years, but it's still around for a reason, right? Because mm -hmm. it it works. And the same with you, right? Back at AT and T, selling was still hard, but the mm -hmm. strategies, the behaviors, the tactics, the techniques were still the same. If you were yeah, doing well, it right. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, or, or, or frankly, back then I was doing a lot more wrong than I was doing right. But mm -hmm. you know, back then I was, you know, young, I had a lot more energy and willingness to, you know, be told no a lot. So, you know, you, you just outworked a lot of it. Right. And a lot of people that are really good in sales, they work really hard. Right. Yeah. So, and, and you know, a lot of what we try to do is, is not help make people work less, but make them more efficient. Right, you make them more efficient. So, so I, I I did that for a number of years, and then I went into the uh, financial technology space. I sold software, um, sold a, a lot of professional services into investment banks, broker dealers, financial advisors, corporations, mainly their their treasurers and their CFOs. You know, data to help them market their companies more effectively to to investment banks and so on and so forth. Um, spent about 18 years at Thompson Financial, what, what became Thompson Reuters. And then, you know, we were a highly acquisitive company. And uh, we also divested quite a bit of our assets on occasion. And one of our assets was uh, divested, the one that I was working for when we got acquired by one of our biggest competitors. So I quickly became redundant, which mm. is short for I got fired. So mm. I mean, it was a nice, nice firing. We parted ways, and I was 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 given an ability to to launch a business where I could make an investment. Um, so Sandler is a franchise based business. Got it. Um, it, it, it and in when it, it's not your typical franchise in the sense that we don't have business operating procedures and you know kind of that kind of structure, but we have access to a methodology, um, and that methodology's use across sales. Uh, customer service, anything that's really customer facing, and then sales leadership. And then we have a variety of tools to help assess and hire salespeople, DISC being one of those, which we've talked about in the past. Um, so I had an opportunity through a friend uh, who uh, had one of these businesses also based in Massachusetts. And we quickly decided that working for each other was not something that was going to be tenable. So um, I decided to buy my own franchise, bought the license, and that was in well, back in 2014, so quite a while ago. Back wow. 
almost almost eight. And years. what did that process look like? I mean, you must have had to go through their training in order for them to allow you to train their methodology. What was that process like? Yeah, we went through a we went through an onboarding certification where we had to go in and, and get certified in the Sandler methodology. We we had to prove that we could both execute it, meaning you know at the end of the day, I am um, a business owner. I spend probably 30% of my time selling, meaning looking for my next client, uh, talking them through how we're going to do what we do, understanding what their challenges are, executing this, the sales methodology that I teach, which sometimes makes my job hard because people are like, oh, this guy's the sales trainer. Let's see how he does in the sales process. Right. And, and one of the things I find interesting is the feedback I get from, from several is that, you know, when we do the training, they'll say, you know, hey, you you did this in our meeting. Right. And they 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 may or may not have recognized that there was something going on at the time. But you know, that you know, but it's but what's interesting is that I've heard that many of our competitors in this space, they don't. They they come in and they kind of run a traditional sales process, which in, in a lot of ways, you know, puts the buyer in complete control, puts you in chase mode. Um, so, you know, we, we teach what we sell, we sell what we teach. Um, and you know, then we, you know, we had to be certified in, in executing the training and our training has got a lot of different elements to it. Not only the sales methodology, but you know, how, how it impacts client service, anybody who's in a customer facing role that may not be in a direct sales role. We do a lot of work with account management and customer service and sales engineers, because they're, they're doing a lot of customer facing conversations. They don't consider themselves to be in sales, um, and we have to, you know, help them help them have better, stronger, smarter conversations. That's really interesting. So, 2014, you launch it. How did it go right out of the gate? Um, better than expected. Um, I mean, the, here's the good news. You know, after spending 20 odd, 20 plus years in in, in the professional arena. I had a lot of great contacts and a lot of great friends and frankly, many people that were running sales organizations. So I spent most of my time kind of reconnecting with people and letting people know what I was doing um, and not necessarily looking to, you know, to, to, to have them be a client, but more, hey, these are the kind of problems we solve, right? We, you know, we, we, we work with people that are frustrated with their team's level of prospecting, that they're not finding enough new opportunities. Those, you know, because they don't have enough new opportunities, they tend to be chasing too few deals and, and you know, not driving the revenue they need, or they're, they're worried that they have a lot of opportunities in the pipeline, but, but some of them are just not moving. They're stuck there. They're not they're not progressing. And, and if they, you know, if they do come out of the pipeline, sometimes it's, it's because they've, they've aged out or they're closing a lot of business, but they're, they're worried that their margins are compressing and they just can't get the price points that they wanted to anymore. You know, I, I don't know if anybody that you meet in your, you know, spheres of influence, if, if they're talking about those things, if those are challenges that they're facing. And I, I had a lot of those conversations with people and several of them said, well, yeah, that sounds a little bit like my team. Like, mm. what are you doing? Like, can, what can you do? And uh, and then I had several people say, yeah, I've, I've you know, so-and-so at such-and-such organization might benefit from a conversation. And most of those conversations turned into something. And, you know, eight years later, we're... So it's, it's, it's solving a problem, right? So everybody's got some problem that needs solving. It's a matter of finding the way to communicate that you may actually have 
the solution. Well, you, you tell them. You, well, yes. I mean, you want to, you know, part of our methodology is, you know, is, is you know, pe people love to buy, but they hate to be sold. Yes, so yeah. stop selling them, right? And, and, and look, you just hit on a key tenant of any selling. I, I don't care what you're selling. If, you know, you could be selling breath fresheners and, and, and you know, got chewing gum for that matter. And, you know, people are not going to change their habits, do something different, buy something new, unless they have a pain, mm. right? So pain is a fundamental principle of Sandler training. And, and all pain means is it's an emotionally compelling reason for somebody to do something different. Right. And, and psychology says that, you know, there's three levels of emotionally compelling. There's pain, there's fear, and there's seek pleasure. So if you're not really identifying clearly the pain, the seek pleasure, or the fear based on what they're currently doing, you're not going to be able to sell them anything. Why would they need to change anything? Well, it's not just why would they need to, they're not going to be committed to it. Right. People, one of the things I hear the most lately is people are, they're constantly getting ghosted prospects. They have great conversations. They never hear from them. They can't, they can't find them. Well, if somebody is not emotionally compelled to keep talking to you, to implement a solution, to, to put a process change across their organization, then they're not, they're not going to do it. Right. They're going to continue with status quo. So you know, if, no matter what you're selling, if you, if you can't identify the problem, right, what impact is it creating on their organization? What is it keeping them from doing? Right? What are they afraid will happen if they continue in their current practice? You know, or, or what are they not able to get out from underneath them? If we can't identify that, quantify it and find out why it's a, it's a compelling reason for them to make a change, the sales process isn't going to go anywhere. So, you know, we've got to find that first, develop it, quantify it, figure out if it's compelling enough for them to act. And if it is, well, then we can start talking a little bit more about, well, how can we fix it? Right. And does this translate across all sales, you think? So it's funny uh, you say that. It's when I first got into this business, I was coming out of fintech, basically. So mm -hmm. software, professional services. Um, database, content management, you know, thinking that a lot of my client base would be very technical. And, you know, what I've discovered, well, first thing I discovered is, and I didn't know this at the time, um, sales is the number one profession in the country. There are more sales roles than any other job in the country. So everybody is selling to a certain degree, right? So, so I have clients, I've, I've done a fair amount of work in the insurance industry, both the, you know, um, personal sales of, you know, home, auto, car, home, auto, car, same thing, right? Um, <laughs> that, that, you know, commercial, large scale, yep. commercial type operations. I've also done work on the wholesale side of the house, right? And you know, I, what I didn't realize was how many layers there is in the insurance mm. business and how many different layers of wholesale there are. So we, we did a fair amount. Of, we've done a lot of work in insurance, Um We've done a lot of work in, in, in physical product, right? One of my clients, one of my favorite clients is they're a flexible interactive label man manufacturer. So like when you go sit on an airplane and you want to, you know, turn your light on above you, there's a label up there that's interactive. You push it and it, the label itself, it activates the light. 
So they make a lot of that kind of stuff. They sell into a variety of different places. So it's a manufactured product that we're selling. And, you know, then I've got, I've done, you know, work with folks in real estate. I've done work with attorneys. I've done work with, um, you know, consultants that have small niche businesses, you know, two, three employees. I've done a lot of work in technology and software and that kind of stuff as well. But it's even surprised me a little bit, the, the diversity and scope of the clients that we've worked with in the last eight years. But yet the methodology works across all platforms. Yeah. The, I mean, look, what changes is the buyer's journey, right. right? The buyer's journey changes. But at the end of the day, when you sit down and have a conversation with somebody, you've got to get mutual agreement, right? Well, first, you've got to, you've got to be able to read the person correctly, right? To make them comfortable, right? And, and to get them, frankly, to not view you as a salesperson. That's one of the biggest problems that most people have is they feel like, okay, I'm sitting with a salesperson. I better hold my cards close to the vest. Mm. I better not give away information. I got I to gotta make sure that I control all of this. They go right into control mode. So part of your job as a salesperson is to diffuse that as soon as possible, right? And, and you know, we, t- we teach tactics on how to do that. How do you create mutual agreement? So you have a buyer's journey and they have a, a you know, a buyer's value or a seller's evaluation. How do you merge those two things? So it's not a battle for control all the time, right? So how do you get mutual agreement? Qualify pain, qualify investment, qualify decision process, make a compelling pitch and presentation, confirm commitments, deal with objections, right? So it's, you know, helping people, whatever they're focused on, right? That process, that methodology is going to apply because you're going to have similar interactions. They're just going to be perhaps at different parts of the buyer's journey and with different types of individuals and frankly, a different quantity of individuals. Some people are going into sales meetings with 10, 12 people. Some people never sell to more than one or two people at a time. So it's just helping them figure out situation, situational use, you know, spot and journey and right methodology and tactic to use. Wow. So it's super nimble, flexible, process methodology that could fit anyone who, in my mind, anyone who gets up and goes to work is, is selling something uh, if it's not they're themselves. Have you ever read uh, Daniel Pink's book, To Sell as Human? No. I'm going to write that one down, though. Write that one down. It's a fantastic book, particularly if you have, if you're in a sales job, but you don't want to admit that you're in sales. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you know one or two people who fit that bill. I meet them yeah. all the time, right? But he's got a fantastic definition of selling, right? It's simple. It's moving people. Actually, I take that back. It's the art of moving people in the direction you want them to go and have them feel good about going there. Mm. And, I, and I love that because that's really what sales is all about, right? It's, it's, it's the art of connecting with somebody, understanding what's going on, having them feel like they've been listened to, they've been heard, they've been understood before you provide them a solution that, that, that could move them in your direction and have them feel good about going there, right? So, you know, if, and if you can boil it down to some of that, it makes it a lot simpler. And it frankly takes a lot of the stigma away from selling. Unfortunately, sales is one of those professions, right? Nobody was in their basement as a five-year-old running around in their underwear going, I'm going to be the greatest salesman in the world, right? Nobody was saying that. So, you know, that now that all of a sudden people are finding themselves in sales, they're like, oh, this is not really, really thought it was. And mm. got to help people get through that. And it's so essential though, to any business. It really truly is. Um, let me ask you this, Eric. So somebody 
signs up with you, they go through foundations or sales mastery or one of the workshops uh, around disc or all of the many tools that you have in that tool chest. And they sit down and they want to do a review and they go on to Facebook or Google and they say what? It's <laughs> a good question. So, I mean, I could probably open some up and read them, but that probably isn't what you're after here. It is kind of, if that's, if they're sending you back your value statements, then it is. Yeah. Well, so here's a lot of the feedback that we get is in a number of ways, we demystify the sales process, mm. right? We, we make it digestible for them. And, you know, we, we, we raise the level of professionalism in terms of how they approach their job, right? We give them that structure to say, okay, I've got a process, I've got a methodology and a tactic that I can use that I can inspect. I can plan better ahead of time. I can write a pre-call plan that's, that's very specific to my spot in the buyer's journey the goal of what I'm trying to accomplish that day, I can invite my prospect to participate. And then I can post-call debrief and evaluate how I did, both on, both on what my, my spot in the buyer's journey was, but also how did I execute based on you know, things that the buyer threw at me. So we, we raised the level of professionalism. Um, we opened their eyes to some things that they hadn't seen. And frankly, we give them tools that are useful. The biggest thing I hear from people is, you know, I was really having difficulty communicating with ex, spouse, uh, sibling, coworker, boss, child. Mm. And I used a couple of your questioning techniques. I used your upfront contract. I used, you know, some of the things you taught me in sales training and it, it, and it made that interaction better. So mm. it's like, you know, that they've connected this and they found a way to, to simplify some of this stuff and, and have a broader use of it. So and frankly, that, you know, that they had fun, right? At the end of the day, we fun. tried to make the classes fun. I um, love it. Like one of my colleagues says, uh, you know, if you're not laughing, you're not learning, which, I, and I don't find myself that humorous. Most of the time I'm making fun of myself because that's usually pretty easy. Um, but, you know, we've got to keep people laughing, keep people trying, right? If, you, if they're afraid to try something new, well, guess what? They, they won't do it. So we've got to try to help them have fun. That's probably a lot for a, you know, what was it, the review? Yeah. So here's the review. It was life changing. It crossed all stratospheres of my life. I owe it all to Eric Warner and Sandler <laughs> training. I, I think, I mean, that would be highly aspirational. I'm not sure we've ever gotten one of those that would be hag. The right. That's where um, you're going. But let me ask you this. All right. So a lot of folks you know, getting into sales, it's outside their comfort zone and you're helping work through that to create processes around it and create habits around it. But another thing we like to do is get people outside their comfort zone, bring them onto the podcast, share their stories, which we appreciate you doing here, but also karaoke. <laughs> that karaoke is the ultimate icebreaker of building a, a distance from that comfort zone and pushing it out there and getting the community support and having everyone cheer you on. So you're going up there by yourself on the mic. You're next. What are you singing? Have you ever done it? That might, I, I have done it once. Um, you, I can't tell you how many people have said I've done it once. And I think that is hysterical. So what did you sing in the one time you did it? Well, I sang a song that I will never sing again. Um, <laughs> and let, let me just say, um, it was at a family outing, an extended yeah. 
family outing. It was very late at night um, after a long day of um, highly engaged family bonding. Yeah. Basically meant outdoor activities involving drinking. Yeah. Um, and there was late night in a bar and suddenly somebody said, we're going to do karaoke. Now there's many members of one side of my family that can actually sing. They're oh, good. At it. They, they do it all the time. And they they ruin karaoke. And they're good, right? They're actually pretty good. Yeah. So they kind of, you know, forced everybody to go do it. And I sang Ramblin' Man by the Almond Brothers, which is a great song, but it's not easy to sing. No. Greg Almond is not a guy that you can replicate. So I would not do that again. And it, I wouldn't say it went particularly well because I think I have rhythm, but I found out that I don't. I'm also, I'm, I'm dyslexic. So reading things at a high speed, wow. is hard enough as it is, trying to put, you know, musical overtones mm. and pitch and rhythm on that um, is just brutally it's not possible i have enough time difficulty reading it never mind doing the rest of that it. is hysterical and it, and it's funny that you say that because you know karaoke you think i sang this in the shower i sang it in the car i've heard this song a thousand times i definitely can sing it but yet the pace and the tempo and all of that is so much more complicated than you thought it would be it's a lot harder than you think. All right. So now you had time to reflect on that and you still are forced to sing this song now. What are you going to sing next? Well, so first, let me just say, I'm probably not grabbing a karaoke mic anytime soon, but yep. but here's where like, so I'm a, I'm like an 80s rock fan. Like if, you know, if I classic rewind is the station on XM radio that's constantly on and I can't help when like journey and steve perry comes on mm. billy squire or white snake or def leopard or yeah. anything that has come on like i am definitely rocking the car i mean if if people go by me and see me i'm doing some singing every now and then but god forbid you put a mic in my hand and, and actually make me do that in front of a group so it would probably be something of that vintage maybe like a steve don't stop believing right don't oh i love it that's such a such a good song with such a great message too <laughs> All right. So Eric, most important question of them all. Somebody wants to connect with you and learn more about Sandler training or say, you know what, I'm jumping right in because I need this and I know and I, that I can trust this guy. How do they get in touch with you? Well, I guess, you know, generically very easily, just Google Eric Warner Sandler training. You'll find my LinkedIn profile. You'll find my company website, which is Praxis, P-R-A-X-I-S dot Sandler .com. We are all individual franchises. My franchise business is Praxis Growth Advisors. So Praxis.Sandler.com will get you to me. Um, you can also go to, directly to LinkedIn and message, message me. You can call me 781-499-2030. You can shoot me an email, eric.warner at Sandler.com. But you know, if you Google Eric Warner Sandler training, uh, Boston or just Eric Warner Sandler training you, you, we've got plenty of medium up there that you'll probably find us pretty easily I love it and folks fear not you're looking at a podcast show notes right you may be listening to this right now open up the podcast Thomas will have the links that uh, Eric just shared with us right there so hit it press the button and and engage with him because he is top in class Eric, thanks so much for sharing your time with us and your knowledge and more importantly, sharing your wisdom and giving out this, this valuable content. Really do appreciate that. Well, I appreciate you, uh, you having me on and uh, I love listening to your podcasts and hearing some great stories and good for you for putting the time, doing the behaviors and uh, getting people on here and having meaningful conversations. So thank you for including me. Thank you, brother. Be well. All right. You too. 
Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by Securitidal. Securitidal helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Securitidal, S-E-C-U-R-I-T-I-T-L-E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.